This morning, you can turn to Psalm 51. We have been in a series uh, entitled Psalms and Proverbs, Teachings from the Palace and the Pasture. Uh, and so we're going to be in Psalm 51. Uh, if you don't have a Bible this morning, we do have some hardback black ones in the seat pockets in front of you. Uh, so you can grab it right there and turn with us. Uh, but either way, when you get there, if you wouldn't mind standing uh, with us, if you're able to this morning for the reading of God's word. And uh, once again, that is Psalm 51. We're going to start in verse 1. So Providence, hear the word of the Lord. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud for your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to gather here this morning as your people to hear from your word. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that is aware of our condition, yet in your kindness and by your sovereign act of grace, you have given your son as a substitute for our shame to become shame through his death on the cross. And then three days later, by your power, you rose him from the dead, defeating sin, death, and Satan, so that through him, by him alone, by hoping in him, by returning to him, Father, we have the hope and promise of forgiveness, acceptance, and eternal life. And to that end, we ask that you would carry us as we continue this time of worship through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, good morning. First service, my name is Casey Cease. I'm a friend of Quartz. Um, I was here a couple months ago um, for a marriage series uh, weekend that you did, and I taught out of Ephesians 4. If we haven't met, great to meet you. Um, I, I always have theories, like I said last time, of, of folks who go to first service versus second service. And so I'm going to try to deliver my sermon in such a way that... Um, is concise for the first service, right? So you got stuff to do today, amen, right? You got a meal to cook, you got family to see, you got laundry to do, so. Um, but at the same time, I hope it is a helpful time of us entering into God's word. Um, the, the theme that, or, or the, the talk that Court asked me to give is called Shame and the Approval of God. Uh, so I'm so excited to talk about shame. Uh, it's such a warm, fuzzy kind of talk and uh, always uh, brings out the best in us. But now as we go through Psalm 51, I want you to think a bit more this way. How can I take this prayer of King David, this prayer from God's holy word, and make it my prayer? 
And so that this prayer, as, as we live through it, as we go through life, dealing with sin that we do and sin that has been done to us, we can have a posture of mercy as a recipient of mercy so that we can dispense mercy and grace to others around us. Okay, that, that's how I want us to think about it. And so when we talk about shame, um, a lot of us growing up, we had parents say, you should be ashamed of yourself. Shame, 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 right? A lot of shame. Um, the three primary, I, I would say, emotions of most human beings um, on the negative side of emotion are fear, shame, and guilt, right? Fear talks about, am I going to be safe? It, it, it's asking that question all the time. Will I be safe? Am I safe? Guilt is a response to that action or activity was wrong. That was wrong. Shame, though, says, I am wrong. And ask the question, who am I and how am I? Right? And so fortunately, the Bible has an answer to all three of those base emotions. But today, as we talk about shame, we're going to go to a place that liberates us from what we see in the mirror and what we face in our life and compels us to the source of joy, restoration, hope, and salvation. And so let's get a working definition, which I'm going to steal from a guy named Dr. Ed Welch um, from his book called Shame Interrupted. And he says this, shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you. You feel exposed and humiliated. I'll say it again. Shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you. You feel exposed and humiliated. When we look in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God and to go their own way and to give in to temptation, we see the consequence of that was their awareness of their own nakedness, their exposure, right? And there's three primary things that shame brings to us. Uh, Dr. Welch goes on to say that shame brings a sense of nakedness or exposure. Shame brings a sense of rejection or being unacceptable. And shame brings an idea or a feeling of contamination, or that of being unclean. And so when we're experiencing shame, there's a couple options with it. Unfortunately, most people, even with, within the church or within the gospel community, still believe that they need to find a way to remedy their own shame. They need to fix it. They need to clean it up. They need to do something about it. But there comes a point where we're so exposed, so rejected, and so contaminated that we come to a place that goes beyond ourselves. And some of you might be sitting here this morning and thinking, well, if you only knew. Well, I don't, but God already does. For those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ, you are carrying shame in various, uh, it's shame management, really, is life. Uh, for those who do not know the grace and forgiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're carrying around this, this weight and gravity of shame, and basically what it comes into is we're managing it. How do we sort it? How do we pay for it? How do we deal with it? And so the weight of it can become overwhelming. And my prayer for you, if that's you, if you don't yet know Jesus personally, my prayer is that today the Lord will crush you by the burden of your shame to liberate you from it. And so the main thing we want to focus on today is that shame can serve either as a tool or as an idol. It'll either compel us towards Jesus or away from him. And the Proverbs, throughout that, shame often follows what? A fool. And Proverbs is a book of teaching of wisdom. And those who run away from wisdom and reject wisdom and run, to, run towards foolishness, shame is the consequence. 
And shame is also a consequence of foolishness done to us. And so then what should we do for the shame? Well, we pick up in Psalm 51. This is, I know Court two weeks ago mentioned David and Bathsheba and Uriah in his sermon. Just to give you a quick overview, in 2 Samuel, we see, um, we see King David, and he sees a woman bathing from his rooftop. He has her brought to him. He has his way with her. Turns out she was married. Her husband's been off at war, fighting faithfully for the king. She becomes pregnant. He gets word of it. David does. He brings the husband home to try to get him to visit his wife in a marital way, but he's a loyal soldier and sleeps on the steps. And so David then sends him out on the front lines, essentially having him killed. So David's shame compelled him then, rather than to repentance for adultery, to murder. And we see the cycle of shame left undealt with is life-taking, not life-giving. And so we have to understand, as a motivation, as what's compelling to us, we have a way to remedy. And that's why I said at the beginning, let Psalm 51 become our own prayer. And so let's begin in verses 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So the first thing we see in this passage is shame is an invitation to shift our focus from our brokenness toward Jesus. Shame is an invitation to shift our focus from our brokenness to Jesus. See where David is placing his hope. He is placing his hope not in his own ability to make it right. He says, have mercy on me. So who is the giver of mercy? Oh, God. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And so David is going to the one source that can be the forgiver, liberator, and coverer of his sin. He's saying, have mercy on me, oh, God, according not to my worth, not according to my value or personality, not according to my character. He says, no, according to your steadfast love. He's calling upon and trusting in the faithful character of God that is never changing. He's calling upon the character and nature of God saying, you are steadfast in your love. Your love doesn't waver. Your love doesn't give up. Your love doesn't quit. So according to who you are and who you say you are, essentially saying for your glory, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. If you have your own copy of scripture there, I would encourage you to circle the word abundant. I think sometimes we believe that mercy is scarce. And this mercy isn't just, I'm going to abuse mercy because there's, it's endless amount. Have you ever been to Fogo de Chao? Some of you are laughing. If you've never been, it's a Brazilian steakhouse that you have a little, a little circle thing that's red or green. And it's a glutton's paradise, but I'm not here talking about gluttony today, so... And essentially, you pay 50 bucks per person, and when you turn over to green, you get swarmed by people bringing skewers of, yes, America, meat. <laughs> Filet, ribeye, I mean, all different types, lamb, I'm not a lamb guy, chicken. And they keep bringing it and keep bringing it and keep bringing it. And there's been times where I've gone in, they're so hungry, I'm like, I'm going to eat all their meat. I'm going to shut them down. But no matter what, I'm never able to exhaust their meat. 
as much as I've tried. And obviously, I've tried. The abundant mercy, knowing that God's mercies are new. Now, understand he's not approaching entitled. He's approaching trusting. He's not approaching with a sense of deserving. He's approaching needing. He says, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, based on who you are and the promises that you've made, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now notice a lot of times when we bring our sin before God, we're not asking for a thorough cleansing. We're asking for a partial. Help alleviate this immediate sense of shame, but I don't really want to live into the promises you've given. And so we want it touched up a bit, but we don't want to walk into the liberty and the freedom that's been given to us through that cleansing. John writes in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins, forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, it's a constant theme throughout that God is the only source because of who God is. He's a promise keeper to cleanse us from our sin. But the shame, when we, when we experience shame, when we carry shame, the invitation of the Lord Jesus is don't carry it, bring it. Because ultimately, the nails through his hands and his feet and the scorn cast upon him and the death that he died was an ample payment, sufficient payment to provide a covering and cleansing that we all need. You can't cleanse yourself. You can't make yourself better. It's backwards when people think, I've got to clean myself up, then I'll come to the Lord. No, no, no. You call upon the Lord based upon his character and based upon his promises. Even if you don't know much about him, you call upon him because shame is an invitation to shift our focus from our brokenness to Jesus. Now, here, here's one thing I want to help us understand. God isn't just something to feel. God is someone to know. And as we grow in our knowledge of God, we can then grow in our knowledge of ourselves. And self-awareness is an important part of spiritual maturity. Partly, we're then able to deal better with temptation. We're able to turn from sin. We're able to find victory in our loss. And he goes on and says this, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So he's getting honest. Like I said, we spend so much time managing our shame and stewarding our shame that, that it's going to leak out somewhere. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, it's going to be, Lord willing, overwhelming. I hope. I hope the gravity of the shame brings you to a place of desperation where all you can do is look up. That you can fire that inner, inward uh, defense attorney that's defending you and making spinning and talking about excuses. If you sin because you've been first sinned against, you're still sinning. If you sin because you've been sinned against, you are still sinning. And there's only one that could pay for it, and it's not the person who sinned against you. And so we have to, this is an invitation. Shame is an invitation toward accurate self-awareness. David says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, he's talking to God, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. It's a relational thing. Against you. Not against my spiritual account, but against you, a person, a relationship. I have, more than anyone else, violated our relationship. And so he goes on to say, so that I may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. God, you are right, I am not. Some of you wear yourselves out trying to argue with God and spin what is true. 
And we've all been guilty of it at times. We don't like parts of God's truth or we want to live our lives a certain way. And, and I pray also for you that you'll get worn out sooner than later. That'll bring you to a place where like, I can't carry this load anymore. And our Father in heaven will come and pick it up. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. I was born from sin into sin. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. He has a healthy self-anthropology and understanding the fact that because sin was inherited through Adam and Eve, no matter how perfect we think we are when we were born, sin is still a real issue for us all. David is aware of his nature of sin, and he is aware of his practice of sinning. And so he's no longer trying to hide that. He's coming with God and agreeing. I once heard a country preacher put it this way. Confession is simply agreeing with God. And here we see David just, he's agreeing. This is my sin. Now, we as humans like to gauge sin on levels of rottenness, and there's some sin that are socially acceptable and some that are just abominable to us. But God, in his view, there's either God perfection or not. And so it all needs to be dealt with. Just because your sin is prettier, it's more inward, doesn't mean it's not affecting your relationship with God, your relationship with your family, and your relationship with your community. It has a consequence. It has an effect. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Some of you today, your response and repentance and thinking differently begins inside begins thinking differently and more realistically compared to the righteousness of God. The reality is the enemy wants us to run from God when we struggle with sin, but the invitation of God is to come to him through and in our sin because he's our only hope. That honors him when we're able to acknowledge with our hearts and our minds and our souls and our strength that he is our only hope. And we're able to grow and become more aware of where we struggle. And then we become more aware with our temptation. Yesterday we had a men's breakfast and we talked about the issue of lust. And we talked about the fact that a lot of us continue to fall into the same patterns of sin because we don't form new and different habits. And so we keep going down the same path. We don't change. And part of the wisdom that the grace of God gives us is that we're able to, to be and to do and to think differently. But ultimately, our sin of lust or our sin of gluttony or whatever it is is symptomatic of unbelief. Martin Luther put it this way, sin is nothing more but unbelief in the innermost being. We're lacking belief in what is true. And what David's coming back to, what he's returning, returning to is what's true about God and what's true about himself. He goes on to say in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Notice he's not saying, I'm going to go shape up and clean up. I mean, that's... That's a gospel that we, we won't say around a gospel-centered church, but that's a gospel we live. Go clean myself up, and then I'll come be right. No, no, no. He's saying, sprinkle me. It's something being done to him. Hyssop was a, a bush that they would use in a sacramental uh, moment to uh, bring about cleansing. He's saying, <laughs> you're the only one that can cleanse. He's not even saying, hey, bail me out from the consequence of uh, earthly consequences of what I've done, right? After, if you read what happened in 2 Samuel, God cursed him and said, hey, your, your child will die. And although David fasted and prayed, God killed their son. So he's not even saying, hey, take away my consequence. He's saying, I want to be right with you. No matter what the cost, I want to be right with you. 
Purge me with hyssop and I, I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Help me, God, only by your power and by your will, make me acceptable again. You know, in our, in our culture, we talk about accepting Jesus. But if you think about it, what we're really saying is he was unacceptable, but now I find him acceptable. That's actually backwards. We were unacceptable to God because of our sin, and only through the accomplished work of Jesus Christ do we become acceptable. He's saying, hey, make me all right. Make me okay with you. Do what only you can do. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Not only make me acceptable, but accept me. Don't leave me. You might take family members. You might take his riches. You might take his security. But he's saying, I want you. And that's a common theme throughout the scriptures. That people who have known and tasted and seen that the Lord is good, when he is kind enough to bring them to repentance, their desire is first and foremost rightness with God. saying, don't leave. I've been running from your presence. Don't leave me. And please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me. Not think positive, give yourself three affirmations in the morning. No, no, you restore. God, restore to me the joy of what? Of your salvation. God, the joy of your rescue, the joy of your victory, and uphold me with a willing spirit. So the remedy for shame is found in the accomplished work of Jesus. That's where your remedy, your relief, your hope will come. I don't know if you've ever felt or maybe heard someone say, I know God forgives me, but I cannot forgive myself. If that's where you sit right now, and I've been there before, I want to encourage you with this, brother or sister, that's pride. Because you're valuing higher than God your own value of what's right or wrong and what can be fixed. Because God forgives, God accepts, God redeems, God is a source of joy. That's why we can live into a new life, a redeemed life, a joyful life. That's why we can be relieved of our shame. For some of us, we experience shame more than other personalities. And shame, fear, and guilt are always an invitation to either honor the Lord or run from him. The remedy for shame is found in the accomplished work of Jesus. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. For whoever is in Christ is new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There's another way, another translation. The old is gone, new is here. Follower of Jesus, you need to hear the fact that if you're carrying shame, that's not your burden to carry. And quite honestly, that's a tool of the enemy to push you further away from God. And you need to return and let this prayer become your prayer.
and friend who is here who is not yet trusted in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ, who has no place, no, nowhere to place all that shame, I want to invite you to the one who took it upon himself to pay for it in full. His name's Jesus. Hope and trust in his accomplished work on the cross. Trust and hope in the fact that God rose him from the dead, defeating sin, death, and Satan. Trust in the fact that he will come again for his own and walk in liberty from this shame. He goes on to say in verses 13 through 17, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it, and you will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. You see what's happening here? He's turning a corner. He's understanding this applied work, his accomplished work on his life because he understands the remedy of shame is found ultimately in God and his will and his work. He turns a corner and liberation from the shame is a catalyst for life-changing mission. When you understand that you've been set free from it, that you're not walking in it, that that's not your descriptor any longer, that's not the badge you wear, that is not your identity. When you understand that you are forgiven and cleansed by the one whom you've offended the most, you then have liberty and power to begin engaged in relationships, to mend relationships, but also to be a tour guide for those who need to be redeemed. You see this, liberation from shame is a catalyst for life-changing mission. He says, when this happens, when you do this, I will teach people who are sinning against you your ways. Mission is a consequence of those who received and applied grace. Mission isn't just something that we do because we're supposed to. It's not some religious obligation. Being and living on mission is a consequence of the fact that the burden of shame, guilt, and fear has been alleviated and cast onto Jesus and off of us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, um, For God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. Your shame was deposited on Christ. His righteousness is deposited in you. As I shared with the men yesterday from Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul then asks, Shall we go on sinning so that grace might abound all the more? And he says, By no means. Heck no. No, 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 no. Why? Because you have died to sin. You no longer have to live in it. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, there is a payment for sin that will be had at the end of your life on earth. And it's a costly, painful, isolating, eternal payment. But the good news is that Jesus became that payment. And by hoping in him alone, you can receive forgiveness, you will be accepted, and you will be cleansed. And through the gospel of Jesus, our nakedness is covered. Our rejection turns to acceptance. And the contamination becomes pure and cleansed. That's our hope of walking in liberty. That is our hope of the good news for those who are perishing. That is the hope and motivation for us to find, finally, alleviation from shame. And listen, some of the things you have done that are shameful have affected people, and those relationships might be tarnished the rest of this life. 
But a lot of times we focus so much on the relationships that we have broken or the relationships have been broken because of things done to us that we don't shift our eyes ultimately to Jesus. And the invitation here is to shift your eyes, to focus differently, to know that you are loved and accepted and cleansed and covered because of what Jesus has accomplished. You can begin to walk in that victory to where sin no longer has the hold. You begin to understand you're no longer slaves of sin and death, but you're, you're now bond slaves to life and righteousness. You can live a life that is no longer affected by shame, which is life-taking, and live by mercy and grace, which is always life-giving. You can stop living a life that points towards an eternity as separated from God and start living an existence that is pointing people to an eternity with God. God knows your shame. God knows your guilt. God knows your fears. And he invites you to bring that to him because he has a solution. Shame can serve either as a tool or as an idol. It will either push you towards Jesus or away from him. And so I'd like to read this passage over us, just invite you to bow your heads and allow you to slowly to hear it and let this be our collective prayer. We all need to be reminded of the victor we have in Christ. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. O Father, we come to you. And Father, whether we're currently walking under the weight of shame, or we have been liberated from it, we know the, the gravity of it. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name for any man, woman, or child that's gathered here this morning that does not yet know the liberation from shame and death that sin brings, I pray that you would reveal yourself this morning to him or her. They would turn from their shame. They would cast it upon Jesus. They would hope in Jesus. They would let someone know that I need Jesus. And, and Father, I pray that you would rescue them and let them know. But also I pray for my brother and sister in Christ who are walking under shame. And maybe rightfully so. Maybe it's shameful activities they are participating in. Or maybe, Father, they're just living under shame because of things done to them. I pray that in your, in your grace and your mercy, oh, Father, that you would shift their focus from themselves to you their only hope. And Father, you know my own struggle with shame. You, you know 
Um, our struggle, you know, that we can easily be given into focusing on how we feel about ourselves. But Father, I pray that the truth would resound, that you find us acceptable solely because of the acceptable work of your son, Jesus. And I pray that we would replace shame with joy. Um, Father, that you would replace shame with um, desire to speak of your goodness to others. I pray that you would motivate us not based upon what we have to pay back, but because of what we've been given. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and respond.